It's always a privilege to be back here at Ames and to be able to come on a Sunday. That's a great thing. We've been traveling a long time, uh, a number of months here. Um, we do have a presentation here that I wanted to share initially. Okay. <laughs> uh, just a little bit, uh, an update about the ministry, and then we'll get into the Word. We're going to be in Acts chapter 14 this morning. But as Pastor Will mentioned, we're the Boyds. My name's Jonathan. In English, you can call me John. In Spanish, Jonathan. And my wife, Holly. And then our four kids, we have, uh, you guys know Lucas and his wife, Clarissa, who are here. And then our daughter, Eliana, is at Faith. She's a junior in elementary education program. Marcus is 14, and Jason is 12. And we've been serving in the country of Colombia for the last, uh, well, since 2006, actually. Colombia is located there on the northwest corner of South America, a population of more than 50 million people, so it's a very large country. Uh, Spanish is the language that we speak there, and it's predominantly Roman Catholic. Uh, we've been serving since 2010 in the city of Santa Marta on the Caribbean coast, uh, where we planted, helped to plant a church, and it's been exciting. You guys have, who have followed us have seen how initially it's very, very difficult, and we didn't know anyone in that city. And by God's grace, we've seen the church grow in the last years, and especially this last term was a huge blessing to see what God's doing in local church ministry, to see our members. We've tried to be training them more and more for the ministry, and from a distance, we can see God is still at work. Um, in the local church that I've been, I've been involved, especially in teaching, in discipleship, in preaching, uh, and my Colombian coworker Alfredo, he's been, he's like the lead pastor of the church. So it's been a really good partnership working with him and his family. Um, Holly was involved, especially with children's ministry, women's ministry. And again, it's exciting to see how the members have taken all that over. And really the church is doing a great job. One thing that I've enjoyed this last term more than anything has been to work with the three guys who've been preaching, uh, my coworker Alfredo there in the middle, of course, I've always worked with him since we started the church, but our last furloughs, I would always feel bad because he was preaching and he does a lot of other things, whether counseling or visitation or a lot of pastoral ministry. And so I always felt like when I left, I felt bad because he would get burned out. But this furlough, it's been great to see that Rafael and Hector are two men in our church who are also preaching. And so my ministry the last two years or so has been especially working with these two guys and get together with them before they preach a number of times, talk through their sermon, and then I'm like sitting on the front row there cheering them on, taking notes, and then we get together to talk about it after. And even with Rafael, we did it this last week. He preached last Sunday, and so then I had been talking to him about his sermon, and then I called him this last week to talk through it. And the same thing with Hector. Um, one thing that was exciting, we've also been working in near Bogota, and some of you maybe went there the first trip that we had from our church. We're actually in Tenjo, where we now have a seminary. And one of our first students, when we started the seminary there, uh, I was one of the first professors, and Ever was one of the first of eight students. And I still remember just sitting around a small table, eight students, Ever. Um, wasn't the best student. Uh, he struggled a little bit with his grades, but he loves the Lord. And as a result there of being at the Bible College, he got a burden for unreached people groups within Colombia. And God opened the door for him to be a teacher 
at the only institute in the whole country to train indigenous peoples to reach their own people with the gospel. And now there are two other of my students there as well. So there are three of them on staff. And it's exciting to see that as we look at missions, we're able to train someone like Ever, who is then able to reach unreached people groups by training their leaders to go back and reach their own people with the gospel. And so he, on his vacation last year, for example, he was all month on the Sierra Nevada mountain near where we live on the coast, and there are four different unreached people groups on this mountain, and he was traveling for a month through torrential downpours um, in circumstances with armed groups that aren't always the safest, uh, and he took some of his students, and they were able to preach in villages where the gospel's never been heard. And every couple weeks, he sends a report out of what God's doing in these groups. And even there have been some people saved where at times, there, he just mentioned a girl who was saved, the only one in a whole community of 800 people. I mention that because the Lord is calling us to return now. Um, this next term, the goal is to go back to the Bible college to teach full-time, to be there as academic director and to really pour our lives into that because I think that's where we've seen God bless the most. And as I get older, my son tells me that I'm almost halfway, or almost 50 and halfway to 100, he says. But <laughs> you look at your ministry and you have to say, where can we best be used of God? And so we'll be moving back to Tengho to be working there in a very different climate, a very different culture. It's kind of a farming community, dairy farming, outside of Bogota, a city of 8 million, 9 million people. And we currently, at the Columbia Baptist Seminary, we currently have 31 students who are full-time. Um, here's some of my students. And then this is the full group that we have right now studying. And it's exciting to see this grew from seven students or eight students the first year now we have 31 on campus and also about 60 distant students as well. And so just to think about how Colombians and Venezuelans are reaching their, the country of Colombia for Christ, and then they have a burden to reach other parts of the world as well. So as I mentioned, our plans are to go back for about six months to Santa Marta. We'll be getting back at the end of January and then planning to make that tra transition to go full-time to the Bible College, where we'll be helping with church planning with, in the local um, churches, the local towns. There are lots of towns that don't have churches, but then teaching full-time with these students. So you could pray for that as we seek to go back. All right, turn with me to Acts chapter 14, and I will confess to you guys that um, in Colombia, we preach a bit longer than here, so I'm praying the Lord will help me. Um, but at any rate, you guys know that it's a special day. So, um, Acts 14. If you're taking notes, which is always great, the title of the message is Unhindered. How many or how comfortable are you with taking risks in your life? <laughs> I sometimes like to watch videos on YouTube of people who take risks, and I just found a video a week ago of a guy who longboards in Colombia. And this video was taken near Medellin, which is a very beautiful city, but it's a city that's nestled in some very steep mountains. And he came down from San Felix, is what it's called, a town down the mountain on a longboard. And, I mean, just watching someone on a longboard on Iowa State campus freaks me out. 
But this, if you've ever been to Columbia or you want to know about it, you never know what's going to be around the next corner. You literally never know. I mean, there could be an ox cart, there could be a herd of sheep, there could be any number of things, there could be a police blockade, and this guy on his longboard goes down that, makes hairpin turns, um, dodges potholes, goes through mud. Uh, I laugh because there's a sign in a lot of the towns that he goes through that says despacio, that means slow, 20 kilometers per hour, and he's probably going about four times that as he goes through this, dodging trucks, motorcycles, etc. And the most interesting thing is when he has to dodge a dog that runs out to try to attack him. Just watching the video of 11 minutes and 48 seconds seems like an eternity for me. I can't imagine what it would be like. But when I watch that video, I think of someone who is unhindered. My wife said unhinged, but unhindered. (laughs) So I'm not advocating for longboarding down tall mountains in Colombia. That's crazy. But I do think we can learn something from, from that young man did you guys know what the last word of Acts is? Look with me, Acts chapter through, or 28. Acts chapter 28, the very last word of this book gives us one of the themes of it. It's talking about Paul here in Acts 28, 30. He says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The very last word, you could translate it unhindered. The very last word of the book. And that's not a, um, a coincidence. Luke, when he writes his book, he wants us to think that the gospel was preached with boldness and without hindrance. So when we think about our lives, as we go back to Acts chapter 14 now, Acts chapter 14 is an example of how Paul and Barnabas ministered unhindered. They weren't hindered in what they were doing. Now, when we think about that, we as well should serve unhindered. We should serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ unhindered. Maybe God would work in your heart like he did in mine to call you into missions. And when you start to feel that call, you start to see indications in your life, there are many things that can hinder you. But God wants you to heed that call unhindered if he's calling you. There's a healthy urge that we have to stay away from risk, right? I mean, I tell people this, that I have an urge. I'm afraid of heights, not because I'm afraid of heights, but because when I see something that's a long ways down, it makes me want to throw myself off. So I'm afraid of heights, (laughs) okay? I stay a long ways away. And in Columbia, guardrails, what are those? They haven't even heard of that. So We, at times, have this desire to protect ourselves, but God wants us to serve him unhindered. Now, we're going to see three hindrances here to serving God. Look with me, chapter 14, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Now, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, 
They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. We see here the first hindrance that might be in our heart, and it's fear. You see here, especially in verse 3, look at verse 3, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. We see that Paul and Barnabas were not hindered by fear. And it's interesting, if you read the chapter before, at the end of chapter 13, they had just been persecuted. They had just been kicked out of Pisidian Antioch for preaching the Lord. And so it's encouraging or incredible to think that they go to this next city and then they preach without fear. They weren't hindered by fear. Now, what was this message that they were preaching? You can look in Acts 9 and verse 13, uh, chapter 13, cha- I should say Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 13, I'm just going to summarize for sake of time. Their message was that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and the Savior. And you see that especially in Acts 13. Look at Acts 13, verse 38. Here's Paul preaching. He said, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So we see here he's preaching Christ as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior, and the one through whom we need to be forgiven. So let me just make a comment. If you're here and maybe you haven't been coming here very long, and you're just starting to hear about this gospel thing, what is this? Well, the gospel is the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, came down from heaven, we've sung about it, came down from heaven to live amongst us, to live a perfect life, to preach and teach, and then to go to that cross and to die for us. And we see here in Acts chapter 13, let me read it for you again, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So we see there, Paul and Barnabas preached without fear. They preached without fear. And then in chapter 14, the same thing. They were facing persecution, but it says in chapter 14, verse 3, so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Fear can be a hindrance to our ministry, can't it? What could have caused them fear in these verses? If we think about what could have caused them fear, we see that there is an open door in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke. You see there an open door. They had an open door to go to the synagogue, and the people, since Paul was a rabbi, the people would listen to him, and he would preach Christ. That's an open door. Sometimes we can be afraid of open doors. Like we're praying, Lord, don't show me any open door because I don't want to have to go through it. (laughs) Sometimes. Because they can cause us fear. And what open doors have you had in your life? I had one. I've had two in the last couple of years that really scared me. There is one three years ago, after the pandemic, 2021, in Columbia, we're still kind of in the midst of it. But a friend in my neighborhood works in radio, and he I was out jogging. He said, he stopped me, John, do you want to do a radio program on the book of Job and suffering? And I'm thinking inside, I'm thinking, okay, here's an open door, but I am scared to death of radio and microphones like that. 
And so I said, let me think about it. And I got back to him later and I said, okay, I'll do it. But guys, I was so nervous for that rate. I don't think I slept the night before. And I'm sitting there, he's on the other side with his microphone and I'm here and I'm like shaking. But it was an open door, what could I do? I just had to, to walk through it. And so that was a blessing. Another one this year, I was invited to speak at our local university, the Magdalena University, to speak on the question, can we trust the Bible? And again, thinking about the public university, an invitation to speak, and I was scared. I told the guy who invited me, I said, let me think about it a little bit. And I prayed about it. And in prayer, I'm telling the Lord, Lord, I am scared to do this. I don't know if I can do this. And of course, what's the answer? John, this is an open door. I'm opening. You can go through it. And by God's grace, we were able to do that and had a good turnout and had some really good conversations with some atheists after about the Bible and, and all this. But it's one of those things where God will open a door, and the doors that you have are different than I have, of course. But each of us is given open doors, and we can't let fear stop us. We see also in verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And that's something we see throughout Acts, the opposition. And we're often hindered by fear of others. And in our minds, we, we say, well, if I say something, what will they think or what will they say? And yet, God wants us to not be hindered by fear. For example, have you thought about starting, if you, have a, if you work somewhere, have you thought about starting a Bible study with your coworkers? That's kind of freaky, isn't it? Maybe not. I mean, that's a blessing. And in Colombia, several of our members have started Bible studies at their work. Um, one of the guys that, that came to Christ through our ministry there, Rodolfo, he has a Bible study every week with five or six coworkers. So maybe God would be calling you to that. Or college students, maybe have you thought about having a Bible study in your dorm? And when you hear about that, you maybe instantly say, I could never do that. I'm afraid. Well, okay. We all are, but God doesn't want us to be hindered by fear. We see there in verse 6, um, verse 5 rather, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. They weren't foolish. They realized they needed to run, but they continued preaching the gospel. So, as a result of studying this passage, I've been thinking the last couple of weeks, I'm trying to keep track of every time I feel fear to say something or do something. And there have been several times where I'm walking and God puts it in my mind, you know, you could talk to that person and maybe initiate a conversation. Or maybe there's someone who needs to hear about the Lord. And guess what I've done? Several times I've walked by and then I start to justify it. No, but they wouldn't want to listen to me. I'm, I'm a strange guy. I don't know them. What, why would they care about what I have to say? And I keep walking, and then I've been thinking, no, but fear can't be a hindrance. And so several times I've gotten several blocks away and said, I need to go back. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to just go back and talk to that person. And it's been a blessing. And I thought about this in Colombia. Sometimes you'll see someone just crying on the side of the street. Have you ever seen someone crying? And then as you walk by, you think, well, I wonder why that person's crying. And then you think, well, wouldn't hurt to try to talk to him and say, hey, could I pray for you or something? And, and yet our fear hinders us so often. So the first hindrance is fear. Look with me at verse 8 through 18. 
Now at Lister, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconium, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Now when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and is all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. What a crazy scene, right? <laughs> I've seen some crazy scenes in Colombia. I mean, you never know what you're going to run into, but I've never seen something like this. We see here Paul and Barnabas rejected any position that the people are trying to give them. So the second hindrance, I'm going to say, is pride, our pride. Because here, you notice, the people wanted to sacrifice to them. And unlike a Hollywood movie where they would have taken advantage of that adulation, Paul and Barnabas, what did they do? You notice there, not only did they reject it, but they rejected it, um, how would you say that, like, very... Only a Spanish word came to mind. Anyway, for, verse 14. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out. They weren't just sitting there passively saying, wow, this is odd. What's going on? They rushed out, tearing their garments, saying, stop! We are not gods. We are the same nature as you are. And they understood that the thing had gone awry very badly. And so we notice they reject any pride. Instead of being shell-shocked, they rushed out shouting, we are of human natures just like you. And the focus here is on the good news. You'll notice that, that there in verse 15, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. As one commentator says, they are not the message, only the messengers. Their focus was the good news, not their personal platform. And I've met a few people who think I walk on water in Colombia, and I really don't. <laughs> and I've also noticed that when someone builds a pedestal for you, that's often the same person who's going to knock you off it later. And so when we think about a hindrance to ministry, our pride can be a hindrance to ministry. It can hinder us in so many ways, and the Word of God says it throughout Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Paul himself in Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Pride is a huge hindrance to serving God. Our pride. And it comes out in so many ways. And I think of the prototypical example of pride is Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar 
Remember, he's walking out on his terrace, and he looks at all he's made, and he says, Is not this great Babylon which I've built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Daniel 4.30. Three verses later, he's out in a cow pasture eating grass. We need to learn from that. Because our pride comes up in our heart in so many ways and can be a hindrance. And we look here at Paul and Barnabas. They reject any pride. They look at these people and they say, guys, we are just like you. The only thing different is that we have a message. We've been saved by your grace, by God's grace, and we're here to give you good news of salvation so that you can turn from these worthless idols to serve me. Pride also leads to rivalry, envy, and slander, which come from pride and can damage our service. How much damage does pride cause on the mission field? Whether between missionaries or in churches, the same way in our churches here in the U.S., when we have pride in our hearts, that damages God's work. And I always say it's so easy, or it's hard to build something up but it's easy to break it down because of our pride. When we're prideful also, we sometimes, like Jonah, Jonah didn't want to share the good news with the Ninevites because he was afraid God would do something. He was a proud person. And sometimes we as well have the message and we look down on certain types of people and we say, I'll share with that person, but not this one. And that's something that we need to think about as we think about the ministry that God has given us, and where he's placed us. So the first two hindrances are our fear and pride. Look with me at the last one here, verse 19 through 23. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now we see here, Paul and Barnabas did not succumb to discouragement. And we think that we have downer days sometimes, right? (laughs) We look here at Paul. He was stoned, left for dead, and look at what he does. Verse 21, when they had, sorry, uh, verse 20, 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe, When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Paul was not discouraged, and he had every right to be discouraged. In fact, it would have been easier for them to go from Derbe to Antioch of Syria. would have been quicker to just travel straight, but they decide, no, let's go back to the other cities we already were in, in spite of the persecution, because they wanted to encourage the brothers. Do you think we need encouragement? When you're discouraged in ministry or in your life, that's a huge hindrance to serving God. 
if anyone had the right to be discouraged, it was Paul. Remember 2 Corinthians 11? It says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from all these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." The amazing thing is, we don't see Paul giving into discouragement. Look at verse 22 again. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas encouraged others. When they could have been discouraged, they encouraged others. And I've been discouraged in ministry, and that's so difficult. I think especially after, well, when we were in the midst of COVID in Colombia, it was very draconian, is the word I would use. For six months, we couldn't go out of our houses except one day a week to buy food. Uh, as a pastor, I could, but most people couldn't. And we were often wondering, what are we even doing here? I mean, we, I became a black belt in Zoom. Uh, you know, you, you learn how to do so much on that platform. I didn't want to learn all this. But at any rate, it was something where I got to a point where I was trapped in a cycle of discouragement. And I felt like, what am I doing here? I'm not seeing the hand of God in my life. I'm not seeing the hand of God in my ministry. I'm just going through the motions. I felt bad with, with our churches here in the U.S. thinking, what are we doing, in a sense? And yet, the sad thing about discouragement is when we get focused in on ourselves and just focus in on that, what happens? That's a, a, a downward spiral, isn't it? You get focused on, in on yourselves and you, or yourself, and you forget that it's more blessed to give than to receive, as Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. One of the saddest things I hear in our church there in Colombia, and we've heard it, Alfredo and I have heard it many times, Someone will say, well, I was discouraged, so I didn't come to church. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you were discouraged, so you didn't come to church. Okay, that makes no sense. If you're discouraged, where do you need to be? You need to be with God's people. You need to be worshiping. You need to be hearing God's word. You need to tell someone, pray for me. I'm feeling discouraged. And that was the beautiful thing of this time of discouragement that I went through. I was able to talk to my brothers in Christ, Alfredo, Rafael, some other guys as well, and just tell them. And then, I mean, they were there to encourage me and to challenge me and to pray with me. And by God's grace, I came through that. But you look here, Paul and Barnabas, they understood the need to encourage each other. They understood that discouragement is a hindrance to serving God in our lives and ministries. So as we think about that, I started the sermon talking about a longboarder who was unhindered on his way down a curvy, obstacle-filled road. I've never been on a skateboard like that, but you can tell when he's on the parts that are straightaways, which aren't many, but when he's on that, he feels free as a bird. I can imagine, because I've, you know, when you're skiing or something, right? 
and you're just going down a, a smooth spot, and you're just free as a bird, and you're enjoying everything that God is doing in your life because you're able to serve him unhindered. That's what God wants for us. God wants us to serve him unhindered. And so the question is, how does God want you to respond this morning? Well, there's only one who can free you from your fears, from your pride, and from your discouragement. All of us face those, and I was, I've been thinking, those three are intertwined, aren't they? I mean, when you think about fear, pride, and discouragement, they go hand in hand. But there's one who can free you from that, who can give you freedom, and his name is Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ can take you and save you from your sins and give you a new life, give you his spirit, so that you can live unhindered. He'll free you and give you a new life. And I don't know if you're here today and you don't know him yet, but I always like to share an invitation that God wants to work in your life. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to save you. He wants to make you free so that you can serve him unhindered. And when you look at your life and you think, why am I here? You don't have to be discouraged because there's a reason. God put you here to be an ambassador for him. For the king of glory, he put you where you're at to be an ambassador for him, to live unhindered where you're at, and to have an impact. And that's something that only you can do where God has placed you. So do you know him? And what about thinking about your life? What about serving God in missions? Are you willing to do that? I heard that my father-in-law, whom I never met, he was killed on the mission field in Colombia, my father-in-law said to God, God, I'll go anywhere except to Africa. And just a few weeks later, there is a missions conference on the need in Africa, and he said to God, okay, God, if you want me to go to Africa, I'll go there too. And that's something that when we think about our lives, we have things that we say, I will do this, but I won't do that. I will never go to be a missionary or on a mission field because I just won't do that. But God wants us to serve unhindered, wherever he calls us. And if we do that, he'll take away our fear, he'll help us with our pride, and he'll take away our discouragement so we can serve him. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word, and Lord, I know that only your spirit can work in our hearts with this message, Lord, because you've been working on me for a couple weeks with this, and it's something that we need to meditate on. It's something that needs to marinate in our hearts, Lord, uh, so that we can think about and meditate on what you want to do in our lives. And Lord, there are many hindrances that we have in our hearts more than anything. Lord, there are difficulties we have with fear, difficulties with our pride, difficulties with discouragement. And Lord, when we're focused in on those things, you're not going to be able to work in us like you want to. And Father, we're probably never going to be like Paul and Barnabas, but Lord, we want to imitate them as they imitate Jesus. Help us, Lord. Help us. We pray that you'd use this, that you'd mobilize your church, Lord, that you'd call people to the mission field, that you'd call people to serve you in vocational ministry and also in jobs around this country, Lord, and even in other countries, wherever you want to put us, whether it's here in Ames or in another part of the world, Lord, help us to serve you unhindered by fear, unhindered by pride, unhindered by discouragement, Lord. We all struggle with these things, but you're in the business of transforming. So we pray for your work, and we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen.